Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you are about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tom Kang. For more information and content, or to connect with our worldwide Liquid Church community, log on to liquidchurchonline.com. Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled forty days and forty nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Well, all right, everybody. Uh, I'm Pastor Tom. I'm so thankful that each of you is here today. We are closing up this series, this really fascinating series, and this character study about a prophet named Elijah, right? He was one of the greatest prophets of all time. And by now, many of you are realizing that this Elijah was actually, this is a tremendous man of God. I mean, he was a real piece of work, and his life was filled with this sort of thing that, that resembles many of our lives, it went from these tremendous highs 
to these terrible lows. For instance, just think for a second of the way that we were first introduced to Elijah, right? He was on this incredible high. Do you remember this? He came out of nowhere. He stood up to this diabolical duo, right? This King Ahab and her her evil wife Jezebel. And God gave him a word to say to this diabolical duo. He said, you know what? There's not going to be any more rain in this land until I say so, right? He's speaking the word of God. He's facing, you know, God's enemies tremendous, tremendous high. But what happened next? Right afterwards, the next scene, he's on this tremendous, terrible low, right? He's down by this brook. He's being fed by ravens. And the brook all of a sudden dried up, right? It was a dried up brook out of nowhere. Then all of a sudden he's back on top again, right? He's, he's miraculously fed by this widow and her dying son. They don't have any flour. They're like really poor. It's this endless supply of food though. And he's like miraculously fed. It's this tremendous high. But then what happens? The son dies, right? And all of a sudden it's like this tremendous low. But then what happens? He soars back up again, right? Because he resurrects this dead boy, right? I mean, it isn't crazy. And who could forget Who could forget last week when we heard how he was literally on top of a mountain and he's calling down the fire of God, right? I mean, this was a tremendous high experience. And you start to realize when you see this progression of things that his life really mirrors a lot of ours as well. You've got your peaks and you have your valleys. You have your highs, you have your lows. You have your ups and you have your downs, though we wish we could all stay on the top, right? I mean, that's something that we all desire. But life isn't always like that, which is what makes this final chapter highlighting Elijah's life actually my favorite of all the chapters, okay? Do you know why? Because here's the deal. This one is all about Eli's failures. It's about Elijah's weaknesses, how after all the incredible victories he had some terrible vulnerabilities as well. And in fact, if you take a closer look with me at today's passage, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 2, we can turn the house lights up a little bit. And it's found there on page 250 in your Bibles. And keep in mind that this is happening right after Elijah's huge win, okay? There's this big showdown where Baal, who's like the, you know, the god of the, thorn, uh, the, of, of the storm, so to speak, he's nowhere to be found. Meanwhile, the Lord shows up in this tremendous fire. You remember what happens, right? It like burns everything to a crisp, okay? And so you want to talk about this sore loser? Check out Jezebel's response, verse 2. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, what does she say now? May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like that of one of them. In other words, what Jezebel was doing here was she was referring back to the 450 prophets of Baal, right, that were slaughtered after the big showdown of fire, right? They all died. And Jezebel is saying what to Elijah? You are next right? Now, Elijah's seen everything. This man has been fed by ravens, right? He's resurrected a child from the dead. He's seen the fire of God come down from the heavens. And so how does this man of God, this this mighty prophet of God respond? Verse 3. Read that with me here. Elijah was what? Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And then just a few verses later, it says, I have had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. And you're like, 
Like, what? I mean, how did this happen? How do you go from being on top of the mountains, literally calling down the fire of heaven, how do you go from being way up there to way down here in the depths of despair, actually suicidal? Take my life, Lord. You know, this contrast is so great, it's so vast, it's so big, that many biblical scholars actually think that this was an editorial mistake. Like maybe something got lost in the, in the translation here. I mean, how could a man of God crash so hard, so fast? See, but scholars sometimes forget this central truth that every single person here knows in your heart, and that is this. We are often most vulnerable after our greatest victories. In other words, sometimes after a mountaintop experience, our next step is where? It's in the valley, right? And it's the main reason why this chapter, again, is one of my favorite, favorite ones about Eli, because it's the one where God shows us life after the honeymoon, okay? This, this ain't no fairy tale, okay? It's, it's, this is not packaged nice and neatly with a little bow on top where Eli lives happily ever after. You know, best-selling author uh, Chuck Swindoll, he actually put it this way. I'm glad, I'm glad that when God paints the portraits of his men and women, he paints them warts and all. He doesn't ignore their weaknesses or hide their frailties. I mean, aren't you glad that we have a God who isn't afraid to be real? to actually deal with the things in life that you and I deal with, darkness and even some depression, right? So here's the deal, folks. As we wrap things up today, this is our series in Eli, we're kind of wrapping things up. Uh, as we wrap things up, we're going to take a good look at, you know, this, this, our Bible Superman, Eli, right? Only today what we're going to do is we're going to explore the more Clark Kent sides of him, okay? The, the sides that actually reveal his vulnerability, his humanness, his depression. Because I don't know about you guys, but sometimes after being blown away by these tremendous God moments, these fire on the mountaintop experiences, I don't know about you, but sometimes right after those moments, things actually start to, to settle down for me. Like usually around Wednesday afternoon, right? They, they sort of temper down a little bit. And before I know it, the regular sort of pressures and responsibilities of life and of work and of family, they start building up and I start stressing out. So I don't know about you, but I need practical tools, some down-to-earth insights that are going to help me make it through the daily grind. And so today I'm going to actually you know, lay it out for us real simple and practical. I want to be wildly practical today. And in fact, for those of you who love taking notes, today's your day. Because here's how we're going to lay it out, okay? Here's how we're going to break it down. The first three things that's going to happen is this. Uh, three easy steps into misery, right? Can't wait, right? I'm going to show you three easy steps to walk right into misery. But here's the deal. I'm then going to show you three biblical steps to walk out of misery. And to wrap it up, we're going to 
participate in some communion here, okay? So let's jump right into this, all right? Let's start with the first uh, three easy steps into misery. Some of you are like, I'm already a pro at that. I don't need to know. Can we just skip? No, no, just hold on, okay? Let's see how the Word of God actually plays out here. Check this out with me again at verse 3 here. <clears throat> verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree, sat under it, and prayed that he might what? That he might die. You see, he had just had this huge victory, right? And now he's praying that his life would end. Check this out. I have had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. Question. How do you make yourself feel miserable? Step number one, wear yourself out. Just wear yourself out. Take it from our boy Elijah here, right? You just wear yourself out. You see, for over the past few years, Elijah had been engaged in this massive spiritual battle. Right? He was trusting God and praying and trusting God and praying. It's like a battle, faith, battle, faith, battle, faith. Until one day, he just like collapses under this tree. Folks, that is battle fatigue. And some of you right now today, you are on the same path. You're on a very similar path. You're like honestly wondering, you know, I don't get it, Pastor Tom. Why am I so just tired why am i so depressed and for many of you it's because you're actually experiencing some battle fatigue you're worn out by this sort of war it's like this one woman that i was talking to recently right she works a full-time job. She takes care of the house. She makes sure that the fridge and the pantry are always stocked you know she puts dinner on the table she drives her kids all around the world I mean, you know, it's like swim, swim lessons, soccer practice, piano recitals, all sorts of things, right? But at the end of the day, she still goes to bed and she can't sleep. Even though she's so dang tired, she can't fall asleep. And her mind is just, it's just racing all over. And she just feels so empty inside. And she is totally disconnected from God, her husband, and everyone else around her. Step number one. Just wear yourself out. Step number two, if you're taking notes, so simple, shut people out. Again, that's exactly what our hero did here. Did you catch it earlier? Check this out. It says in there, when he came to Bathsheba in Judah, he left his servant there. He left him there, and then verse 4, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. Well, now, that is just brilliant, isn't it? I, but that's, all, that, that's, that's what we all do, especially us guys, right? We do that all the time. Us men, we do it all the time. You got a problem? Uh, do, do you feel like the walls are caving in? Do you totally like, feel like stressed out? Well, then here is a brilliant idea, okay? Just go by yourself, just isolate yourself. Don't talk to anyone. Speak of it to no one, right? Not a single soul, especially those who care for you the most. Don't talk to them. Crazy, right? Yet that is exactly what all of us do, especially us men. 
I was talking to a church, uh, talking to a guy in our church just last week. He's been going through this sort of dry spell in his life, right? I mean, I mean, this is a dry season. He is out of work. He cannot find a job. He is totally, totally miserable. And, and so when I asked this guy, you know, well, what does your family say about this? I mean, what, what are their, what, are, what is their response? And he's like, oh, uh, no, no, Pastor Tom, you know what I'm saying? I, I haven't told them. What? You... You haven't told, you mean you, your family doesn't, your wife doesn't know? Like, you've been unemployed. That doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, what do you mean? Are you nuts? How do they not know? Can you tell I have the gift of counseling? It, what are you, no, no, Pastor, it, it's complicated. Well, what do your friends say? I mean, what kind of advice are you getting? No, no, I can't tell them either. I, it's, just, it's just so embarrassing. They wouldn't understand. Guys, that is how we roll, isn't it? We, we just sort of, like, you know, pull off this Heisman. You know, anyone that we just got to give them the stiff arm. We just said, get away from me, right? It was just totally like, Ugh, right? But now here's the deal, right? Here's the deal. If you really want to seal the deal here, I mean, you truly, you want to be miserable. You have a hankering to be miserable, right? Then you must take this third and final step. Here it is. Step one, wear yourself out. Step two, shut people out. Step three, forget God. That is exactly what our man of God, this prophet, this great prophet of God does. He forgets God. See, after his greatest mountaintop victory, Elijah actually forgets God. The scriptures say, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The, the Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Everyone got your tickets to the pity party? See, self-pity happens when we start forgetting God and instead focusing on me, 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 my issues, my problems, my deal. And when you minimize God, you artificially maximize yourself. When you minimize God, you artificially maximize yourself and your problems to the point where they're the only things that you see. You see, self-pity actually is, exaggerates everything. Do you know this? Self-pity exaggerates everything. Ah, oh, you know, I'll never be any good. Oh, my life's not going to get any better. There's no chance. I, I'll never get that promotion. My kids will never come to Christ. You know, I'll never get out of debt. I'll never find this. I'll never lose weight. And the list goes on and on and on, right? I mean, you want to get depressed. You want to be absolutely miserable. Here it is, folks, step-by-step -step instructions in your scriptures from our very own prophet of pity, Eli. If you want to stay down in the valley, all you got to do is wear yourself out, shut people out, and forget God. Elijah did all three. Now here's the thing, I just want to pause here for a second because it's important that we don't bash him because the fact of the matter is, anyone who God uses, anyone who engages in spreading the gospel, anyone who fights spiritual battles, anyone who's trying to live for God, who's trying to live for Christ, anyone who does any of these things will guaranteed to be spending time 
in the valley. Do you understand this? I want you to a second to, to think of David. David who wrote most of the Psalms, right? King David, the shepherd David, right? He slew Goliath, right? I want you to think of David and some of the greatest poems ever written in, in, in all time. And some of the greatest Psalms. Did you know that David wrote when he was like, he was scrounging around, you know, hiding from cave to cave because he was being chased by his own people, by his own family? Did you know that? I want you to think right now of even Jesus, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Sweating drops of blood during an hour of utter loneliness and despair, knowing that the only thing ahead of him was the crucifixion. See, there's this sort of pattern that takes place, uh, place throughout all of scriptures that says we are often most vulnerable right after our greatest victories, so the good news is this, if today you find yourself in the valley, you are normal. And here's the even better news, God wants to lead you out of the valley himself. He actually wants to take you, he knows that you're in there, he hasn't forgotten, and he wants to lead you out with his own hand. See, Elijah doesn't just show us three steps into misery. He actually leads the way out. He actually reveals to us three steps out of the valley as well. Okay? Second part of verse 5 there says this. What does God do in response to uh, Elijah's depression? Verse 5 says this. All at once an angel, boop, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. See, folks, God sends his messenger who says this. This angel of God comes. This is this messenger of God. And this messenger of God says to Elijah, would you like a snack? Right? And suddenly this cake of bread appears by his head. And do you, do you, do you realize what's happening here? Folks, this is the world's first angel food cake. Okay? We're seriously here. Don't miss this. The angel is saying, the angel is saying, eat and rest. In other words, isn't it interesting? This is so interesting that the very first step in God's roadmap out of the valley is actually the very spiritual advice, advice to eat and rest. I see some of you taking notes here. I would put it this way. Recharge the physical recharge the physical that's the first step when elijah was down and out the most when when he was just in utter despair the first thing god did was feed him and, and just let him take a nap recharge the physical scripture said that he actually ate and drank and then he laid down again there's an old greek saying and it goes like this you will break the bow if you keep it always bent. In other words, if you're living under constant, relentless stress, you are eventually, you are going to snap under pressure. It's just the way that you and I are rigged. We're all rigged that way. Do you know that the medical world actually says that stress, not heart disease, not cancer, not some sort of tumor, but stress is the number one killer in the Western world. Isn't that amazing? 
And you see, you, you see here what it's done to our invincible hero, right? Eli, now hopeless, on the run, in hiding, and he wants to die. And so what does God do? He tells him, hey, hey, whoa, 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 Elijah, time out. Dude, take a nap. Eat. Rest. Rest and refreshment. In fact, I want to say this carefully. Hear me out. For some of you, the most spiritual thing that you can do today is not read another chapter of your Bible, but it is actually to get some R&R, to actually sit down and have your favorite meal, to, to maybe read a book, to take a walk, whatever allows you to sort of physically recharge you know, some of you feel like you're in this spiritual crisis, but the truth is, you are just physically tired. You know, it may, maybe, it's, maybe it's work, maybe it's your traveling schedule, or the kids, maybe you've just been in this constant season of intense spiritual battle, and you need rest. Do you know that the good news, Jesus actually says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? rest now check this out folks strengthened by that food the scripture says that he was strengthened by that food and no doubt the rest he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached horeb the mountain of god okay from the valley in other words he went back to the mountaintop do you see this pattern here then verse 9 says what there he went into a cave and spent the night now folks this place horeb Right? And your Bibles is called the mountain of God. You need to know, this is the kind of stuff that gets me excited here. You need to know that this, this mountain actually had another name in the Old Testament. You know what the other name was? It was called Mount Sinai. Pop quiz here, okay? Does anyone here remember who else in the Old Testament climbed up Mount Sinai, right? And he went into a cave, and actually centuries before Eli, he received the Ten Commandments. I already heard somebody say that. Who, who did that? Moses. Moses. Exactly. Moses. Right now, extra credit here. Why did Moses, you know, here's the extra credit. Why did Moses climb up, uh, why did he climb up Mount Sinai? Why did he hide in the cleft of the rock? Why did he do that back then? Answer? Because he wanted to see God face to face, right? He wanted to encounter God in a fresh, personal way. You know, last week after, after the service, uh, someone came up to me and she was just like, oh, you know, I love Liquid Church. I love coming here. You know, that dry spell that you were talking about, that fire of God. I felt, Pastor Todd, I felt like you were just talking to me, directly to me, like I was like the only one in the room. Folks, you got to understand, that is not me. That is God speaking to you personally, directly talking to you. That's not me. And so this place, Horeb, this mountain of God is significant because why? It's a special place where God met with his chosen people in a special way, kind of like church yeah have you ever thought of it that way 
A place where God meets you in a personal way. Are you seeing this? It's like basically eat, rest, and go to church. Go to that place where God is. Go to that place where God speaks to you directly in a new way. Why? Because number two, the second way out of the valley, for those of you writing this out, the second way is this, restore the truth. Restore the truth. See, when we're most fatigued, when you and I are most worn out and we're most, when we're most tired, that is when you and I are most vulnerable to the enemy's lies. And did you know that God, oh, God loves replacing our lies with himself, with truth. You see, twice in this passage, Two times, Eli falls into this nasty trap of lies, and he starts feeling sorry for himself. And you can hear the violins in the background because he's throwing this pity party. And he, he actually repeats the same exact misunderstanding twice to God, word for word, verbatim. Once in verse 10, and a second time in verse 14. Word for word. Check this out. This is what it says. Verse 10 and 14 are exactly the same. It says this, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. That's true. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. True. Broken down your altars. True. And put your prophets to death with the sword. True. I am the only one left and now they are trying to kill me too. False. I am the only one left. False. God, I've been doing all the work here by myself. False. I'm the only one who cares, God. False. I'm the only one that can get it done, God. False. You see, Elijah's, he has owned, he has taken responsibility for more of the responsibility than was actually his. Yeah, we get it. Sure, he had done what God asked him to do. That's great. But he thought he was supposed to do everything. There's no one who cares like me, God. No one who loves you like me, God. No one who serves you like me, God. Everybody's depending on me. I'm all alone. No one else gets it. But if you read on later in that same chapter, God actually says this. You know what, Elijah? That's great and all. But I've actually raised 7,000 others that you have no idea about who are doing the same exact thing. 7,000 others who have not bowed down to false gods. 7,000 others who are worshiping me and praying to me. Don't believe the lies. You are not the only one. It may feel like that to you sometimes, but that is not the truth. You know something? I can only imagine what God is saying to so many of us today, right now, who fall for similar lies in our lives as well. Maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, ah, oh, you know, my marriage could never be healed. Why? 
With God, all things are possible. Restore the truth. Oh, you know, but Pastor Tom, you know, my kids, oh, they are never going to come to Christ. I don't care how many family nights, they're nev- they don't like that. They don't like Jesus. They don't, they're never going to come to Christ. Why? With faith as small as a mustard seed, God will move mountains, restore the truth. Oh, you know what, God? I, I just, I can't live without, I just can't, I simply can't imagine my life without her. Why? When God is your first love and actually no one else can compare, restore the truth. Oh, you know what? My life is never going to get any better. You know, I'm never going to have a healthy relationship. I'm stuck in this dead-end job. I'm never going to get promoted. I, I, I need a real ministry. I, I, can't, I can't make a difference. Why? God can take all those lies and restore the truth. Do not believe the lies. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament later on put it this way. We demolish arguments. We demolish them. And every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. In other words, I'm going to take this lie that my mind and my heart and my life are haunted with. I'm going to take this ugly demon. I'm going to take this lie. I'm going I'm to take hold of it. And I'm going to let the word of God speak truth to it. That though this may be impossible for man, it is possible for God. Folks, God's roadmap out of the valley, number one, recharge the physical. Number two, restore the truth. And finally, so important, number three, respond to his voice. Notice the way our passage today ends, verse 11. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. In other words, the third and final thing God does, and this is so meaningful to me, and my prayer all week is that it will be meaningful to you as well, is this. God speaks in a still, small voice. Do you know that the Father never shouts when we are in a vulnerable, fragile state? Rather, He speaks to you in a gentle whisper. I may shout, but the Father speaks to you in a gentle whisper. Which, if you think about this for a second now, we've spent some time in Eli. If you think about this for a second, this is so interesting. Because remember, remember how Elijah is used to hearing God? Do you, do you remember 
Think about how Elijah has been used to hearing God. Elijah, Eli, is used to, he's used to like the God of miracles, right? He's used to God of the huge revelation of God of the, of the resurrection, God of the fire. That is all Eli knows. So in his mind, it is just natural to think, oh, you know what? I get, I get what's going to happen. God's going to show up big time. He's going to show up in these like fireworks, right? Because after all, I'm going to the same place that Moses did. He showed up big time to Moses in this place. He's always showed up big time in my life. He has spoken volumes. He's spoken up so loud and clear. Oh, I cannot wait. But God was not in the wind. God was not in the earthquake. God was not even in the fire this time. Instead, where was God? How did God speak to Elijah this time? Let's read this together now. I need everyone's help here. Let's read this together. And after the fire came a what? A gentle whisper. <laughs> Serious question here, folks. <laughs> Let me ask it to you this way. Are you like intent on only hearing God your way? Does that make sense to you? In other words, have you made it up in your mind that God is only allowed, he is only permitted, he can only speak to you in a certain way that you want? in a certain way that you are used to, in a certain way that you have somehow concocted up in your mind, you have it all mapped out in your head, what it's supposed to sound like, how it's supposed to look, how God is going to speak to you. Have you like subconsciously done that? You know, I, I was talking with another person and she's in this relationship and it is like, I mean, let's be honest, right? It, I'm not a counselor. So it's a bad relationship, Okay. And she's coming through this crossroads, and she's facing this really difficult decision. And the, the, the amazing thing is, we do this all the time, so I'm not judging, I do the same thing, we all do this. <clears throat> it is like every single thing in her life is pointing one way. Every person that she talks to, her friends, her family, her roommates, they are all saying everything is pointing in the same exact direction. They are saying the same exact thing. But then she says to me, you know what, Pastor Tom, I just, I feel like I need a sign from God. I just, I just need a sign. Sometimes, let's just be honest, sometimes... It's like you and I are looking for some sort of fire of God. We, we're, we're like waiting for the earth to shake, the winds to blow, when all the while, God is simply, gently, already whispering to you exactly what you need to hear. He's already whispering to you in the ordinary. And so what if God had a completely different message for you today? 
What if God messaged that, that word to you in a completely different... What if he wants to say something to you in a completely different way? Would, would that be okay with you? Is that all right? Is God allowed to do that in your life? I, I mean, it's just it's, it's kind of weird to, to, to think about it that way, right? But would you, if he did that, would you respond to his voice all the same if he did that? See, Eli was caught way off guard. After all that he had been through, after all these years, he thought he had God figured out, and who could blame him? But after all the, the loud and big ways that God had spoken to and worked in Elijah's life in the past, God now speaks to Eli through a gentle whisper. Something completely unexpected and different than anything else he was ever used to. Yet, folks, you need to notice this. What was Eli's response? He didn't push back. Mm -mm. He didn't say, no, 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 God, I'm not listening. No, 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 no. No, Eli responded to God's voice. Verse 13 says this. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. In other words, Elijah got into a posture of being ready for his next set of instructions from God. He was in total listening mode. And you know what? The rest of the chapter, it actually highlights how God then whispered to him those final set of instructions and how Elijah actually completed them. He, God instructed him to actually go back to where he came and appoint certain leaders. And that is exactly what Eli did. Point, Elijah took the last step out of misery by responding to the voice of God, by responding to the gentle whisper. People, are you willing to do the same? Folks, do, do you want out of the valley of misery, out of, out of the depths of despair and, dis, and depression and stress? Well, then you, would you do exactly what Elijah did. Would you follow in Eli's steps? Number one, recharge the physical. Number two, restore the truth. And finally, number three, respond to his voice. All of our campuses right now, let's, let's bow our heads together. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer right now? And let's pray to God. Let's ask for his guidance right now. Let's ask for his help. Father, as, as, as we all just right now, we, we bow our heads before you. And we see in front of us this beautiful communion table. And it, and it is a representation of you not sparing anything for us. You do not want us to remain in the valley. Just as you did not want your son to remain in the garden. You don't want us to remain in this despair. You have more for us. So, Father, right now as we come to the communion table, I pray, Father, that you would speak to us. Speak to every man, woman, and child in this room. Speak to us right now through your gentle whisper.
speak to us what the exact message that you have for us. What is it that you want? You know, maybe all this time we were looking for fireworks. Maybe we were looking for the earth to tremble. Maybe, maybe we were waiting for, for the winds to blow. But maybe all the while, you've been speaking to us in a gentle whisper. Father, our prayer right now is that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us a heart to receive. Speak to us right now. We love you, God. We love you, God. We love you, God. We love you. We love you. And our prayer right now is that because of this time spent together, we would actually fall more in love with you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Audio. If this message has touched you, we'd love to know how. Just email Pastor Dave Adamson at churchonline at liquidchurch.com. For more information and content, or to connect with our worldwide Liquid Church community, log on to liquidchurchonline.com.